Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler. I'm the man who's lucky to be the host of this show, but you're here to listen to the star and namesake. That's Victor Davis Hanson, who is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College, justthenews.com. That's the home for this podcast. There's a lot going on, as there always is, to talk about and some news that came out. Daily Mail, big article about Red China promising to increase its military spending, uh, which was already pretty damn huge to begin with, by another 7%. And we're going to get Victor's thoughts about what that might mean for America's own national security right after this important message. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factors No Prep No Mess Meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash 
Victor 50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash Victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code Victor50, that's code Victor50, at factormeals.com slash Victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, They've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, Victor, the Communist Party is going to drastically increase it's military spending. I believe the line they used was about you know war preparedness, certainly related to Taiwan. Uh, this is in the face of, of an America, as we were talking about on a most recent podcast of uh, American military that can't uh, get enough uh, soldiers to uh, stay in the, in the armed forces, cannot get enough soldiers to join the armed forces, and has course, left uh, billions and billions of dollars worth of of actual armaments in uh, Afghanistan and is giving billions and billions away to Ukraine. So, Victor, it's uh, a buildup um, at a time where it seems America is uh, weakening militarily. Is Are we weakening militarily? And Victor, what do you think about this buildup? Well, you know, when you say weaken, that's both an absolute or a relative concept. We might not be weakening absolutely in the sense, well, excuse me, in the sense that I, we're not in, in the sense of quality of our arms, but in the quantity of arms, we surely are. I mean, the number of planes, the number of ships, the number of uh, artillery platforms is far less than it used to be. And people argue, well, they're much more effective. Maybe, maybe not. And I don't know if we're going to make that up with artificial intelligence and drones or not. But what's interesting is that Chinese have been they, they've completed 200 new silos. And I don't just mean 200 missiles. I mean, 200 advanced, sophisticated missiles that are probably superior to ours. And they're going to have multiple warheads. So we have about 6,500 nuclear weapons. And I think in any one time, 
there's 1,500 of them that can be deployed immediately. And under the Obama administration, members say, well, that'll just blow up the world. And people said, no, Barack, our enemies don't look look at that the way you do. They say, if we have a first strike and we hit a thousand of their targets, well, they have enough to wipe us out. And if they will have enough to wipe us out, we won't try it. And then our allies, I think I told you that story on the air once when I was with, uh, I was speaking and a person from an allied country came up to me, a general. And he said, you know, I've been listening to you deplore the Obama cutbacks. Obama wanted to go down to, remember, 500 only deliverable weapon. This was at NATO headquarters, right? Uh, no, but I had a similar contact, a little bit of talk. This was on in Carmel, California. Oh, OK. Go ahead. I'm this sorry. person go came ahead. up to me and he said, uh, he, had a, he had a piece of paper and he had names of countries, Japan, Australia, South Korea, Philippines, Taiwan, uh, Europe. And he goes, I want to know how many of these are. And then he had 6,000. He goes, how many are ours? I go, what do you mean? Goes, I want to know how many are yours. And I said, what do you mean? He said, just how many do you need to protect yourself? I said, I don't know. Thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand. How many do you need to ensure Europe will not be attacked by the Russian? I don't know, five hundred to help their own deterrent in France and England. Okay, how many for Japan? I don't know, maybe two or three hundred. How many for the Middle East? I said, I don't know. And what his point was, he wanted to know how many we had to protect South Korea from North Korea. And what he was saying is that there is such a sick game called nuclear arithmetic. And the, the more uh, allies you have, the more you they feel that some of that nuclear deterrent should be used for their deterrence or their their protection because they have the ability to make nuclear weapons and they don't do it based on the United States guarantees. And so China knows that. So China is thinking we have a bigger military in the United States. We build up our Navy and our Air Force, but they're way ahead of us in nuclear weapons. So at some magical point, I'm talking about 2005, 2010, we have stolen enough technology from them, either through our students over there or our espionage ring, that we can now skip many decades of trial and error, challenge and response, and outfit a nuclear uh deterrent that would be comparable or superior to the United States. And that's when they started doing it just recently. And now they, they're they going to have one that's, you know, and everybody's going to say, Victor, there was such a thing called the missile gap. Did you ever watch Dr. Strangelove? Come on. And I said, well, I mean, that's just the way it is. And when they get to be superior to us, they're going to move on Taiwan and say, you know what? You don't have a nuclear superiority. We're not as scared of yours. We have 1.4 billion people. And you people are a risk-averse, postmodern, sophisticated society. We're not necessarily that way. Or so they think they will think. I'm not sure it'll be accurate. But that's what these nuclear weapons are all about. They're they're updating their military. They have done it conventionally. And now they're starting to do it strategically. And I, I'm told that they have parity or superiority and things like space-based weapons. And that's what those balloons were about. Remember, they had a, a dual purpose. Right. One, 
was to spy on American nuclear silos. By that, I mean they would probably want to know how far they were, how deep, you know, everything about them. What would be the reaction if you got near them? Except would whether anti-ballistic missile sites nearby the silo. And that was one. And then one was to test our response. What would American president do if we went right to the continental United States? Would he shoot it down on day one? Would NORAD find it? Was a balloon so primitive that it would be in a paradoxical way, more stealthy, more sophisticated than a spy satellite or a U-2? I mean, a U-2, uh, what do you call it? Sophisticated spy plane. And I think they accomplished both of their missions because their emphasis now is on strategic superiority. Victor, I have a question for our listeners, for you too. Don't answer, though. Is it possible to extend lifespan and feel younger at the same time? Well, according to a Harvard scientist and Nobel Prize winning breakthrough, the answer is yeah, absolutely. How? By lengthening your telomeres. Your telomeres protect your DNA and play a critical role in the aging process. And many of us, though, we struggle with shortening telomeres. Why? Because of stress, unhealthy food, obesity, booze, and more. And that's why I'd like to recommend to our listeners Youth Switch. I take it. I take it every day. Youth Switch is all natural doctor approved and manufactured right here in America. Youth Switch contains a potent blend of adaptogens that promote healthier telomeres and longer lifespans. It boosts energy and can support regeneration of healthy organ systems. You can try Youth Switch for yourself risk-free today and receive a free bottle of Ageless Brain as a bonus. By the way, I take Ageless Brain every day also. It's a great product and it helps you to improve your focus, your memory, and your mood. I think Mrs. Fowler would like me to take two pills a day for my mood. Anyway, uh, Ageless Brain, and you can also receive four bonus eBooks to boost every aspect of your health and longevity. How do you get all this? Well, you go to youthswitchmd.com slash just news to claim your supply of Youth Switch and all five bonus gifts. Again, that's youthswitchmd.com slash just news to order Youth Switch today. And we thank the good people of Youth Switch for sponsoring the Victor Davis Hansen Show. So, Victor, uh, we talked about uh, China, and maybe we should stay in China a little bit uh, via Anthony Fauci. I have um, a great piece in the Epoch Times, uh, which wonderful weekly newspaper. They carry your column, as you know. I know you subscribe. And this is a piece by uh, David Bell, um, and it's titled, Dr. Fauci Comes Clean on Vaccines and Respiratory Viruses. You know what? We haven't heard much about about this. By the way, this is not a reason to put Anthony Fauci up on a pedestal. Um, here's how Bell's uh, article begins. Quote, attempting to control mucosal respiratory viruses with systemically administered non-replicating vaccines has thus far been largely unsuccessful. End quote. You know who wrote that? Dr. Anthony Fauci. He wrote it in a, a journal called uh, Cell Host and Micro. It reported uh, recently published one of the most 
uh, more important papers of the COVID era. And I'll, I'll leave with this final quote, Victor, and then we'll get your thoughts on uh, what Anthony Fauci is doing here, what this particular admission means. Quote, rethinking next generation vaccines for coronavi- coronaviruses, influenza viruses, and other respiratory uh, viruses. Uh, this has elicited surprisingly little uh, fanfare considering its authorship and content, so writes David Bell. You know, uh, Fauci is coming clean some to some degree, uh, Victor, um, after he's left his job, after um, an economy has been uh kicked in the groin after millions of school children have lost years of education and learning what do you make of jack i don't think it was just that he came clean he he refuted everything he's ever said that was of major importance he's basically now telling us that his old dogma that if you got the messenger rna vaccinations you would not be infectious nor could you be infected and that natural immunity was, in comparison, very, I don't know, porous. It wouldn't work as well. And now he's saying just the opposite. So that that's disturbing. And then he's talking about respiratory viruses and the flu um, and that there are certain public health measures to take. And it sounds like he's much more flexible on social distancing, masks, quarantines, and really big on natural immunity. And you don't get natural immunity unless you get the virus. So my question is, I could go in detail about it, but the main importance for our audience is, why is he changing now? And is it because he's worried about his legacy? Is he worried about the Republican Congress is going to disclose or subpoena or public all of his emails with Francis Collins that Peter Daszak, all of the alarm that he had in the first days of the COVID pandemic that somehow... People like us, our listeners, our audience would think that Anthony Fauci, given on the evidence, may have helped funded through Echo Health, gain of function research, which was outlawed in the United States, but not so in China, the Wuhan lab, and therefore was the birther of this uh, virus. Is that why he's worried? Is it? Is it? Or you know what? It's also, Jack, was this whole, I mean, the idea that he became a cult figure I know it was narcissism and he had pictures of himself everywhere and he made an enormous amount of money and he's speaking for enormous fees and consultantships and all of that. I understand. And I understand that he did not like Donald Trump. So was part of his role once he was the advisor to Trump to undercut him uh, on MSNBC, CNBC, NPR, uh, and that's where he was after he was ostracized or he ostracized himself from Fox. And was the was if you look at the results rather than just the causation, and one of the results was it destroyed the, as you know, it destroyed the Trump administration going in in 2019 in December, but especially even as late as January and February, you know, Biden brags about his uh, unemployment. It's 3.5. Trump's was 3.4. I mean, it's 3.4. Trump's was 3.5 without the inflation or high interest rate. As we went into the to the pandemic, he had the first time we'd had a middle class increase in wages. 
interest rates right now on a 30-year mortgage are 7%. They were 2.9 under Trump before COVID, 2.9. And even when Biden took office, they were 2.9. The inflation rate was 1.8. That was a booming economy with low inflation, low interest, steady growth, low employment. And you know what? The number of people, Jack, that are working in 2020 in January, that was not before COVID the last month. That was not achieved by Biden until two months ago. He barely got the number of people back. So he brags about all of this low unemployment. All he's done is finally, after all of the money and spent, we finally got back to the number of people working before the pandemic hit. And more importantly, the labor, I think the most key statistic is labor non-participation rate. And it's it's gone up under, and I can go it the other way, the labor participation rate has gone down. It's down almost to below 62%. And so what I'm getting at was Fauci's craziness that defied prior and post medical exegesis and what he said himself, why in this period, in this period alone, was he such an outspoken critic of almost all the things that Donald Trump said? Right. And and I think it was because he, and why was he so famous on the left? Why did the left, they'd known him from the AIDS epidemic. They'd been very critical of him during the AIDS epidemic. Very critical. He was not a, when we went into COVID, he was not a national hero. Why did he become one? Because he became synonymous with quote unquote, I am the science and Donald Trump isn't. And I represent rationality and he doesn't. And he, and I think he was instrumental in, in forming political opposition to Trump on the basis of COVID. Right. And now it's over with. And people look at him and said, for the cheap price of getting rid of president, I don't know if that's cheap, well, but for the price of getting rid of president, you ruined your reputation and you bankrupt now. And now he said, no, no, I'm a scientist. I'm going to go back and write peer reviewed papers and go back to my original one. Trump's gone. It's no, not an issue anymore. Victor, this uh, the last thing I'll say about this particular piece by Bell. Again, it's in the, the uh, Epoch Times. Uh, and he makes the point over and over again that this wasn't just uh, Fauci wasn't admitting he he got it wrong. Uh, I don't think he even used language approaching that, but that this was really uh, an omission of of deception. That what went on was not uh, I got it wrong. It was intentional. It was truly deception, and the consequences of I think that people will. The, the, one of Bell's points is people will believe they're being deceived. By the leading, you know, I am science, the health guru of the United States and how that the ramifications that's going to have for the future yet to play out. But how we feel about health care in America now, because these guys lied to us. I not think blew not, it. They lied yeah, to us. I don't think it, it, you can argue that the so-called million. I don't know if that's reflects people who died of COVID rather than with COVID, but the the figure is around 1.1 million. You can argue whose fault that was. And I have a feeling that uh, our Fauci had some pretty bad advice that contributed to that or, and you know, the idea of the rest homes and all, I won't get into that, but I think it's pretty clear two things. One that everybody talks about the number of cases of spousal abuse, fam familial abuse, suicides, 
chronic depression, uh, alcoholism, drug overdoses, economic ruination, missed medical operations, procedures, tests. You add all of that up. And you can argue that it, more people probably died. I think if you look at the actual number of people who died from any causes, total dead per month, you can argue that uh, it it was greater. And so my point is that the reaction to the virus probably did more damage. And that's not talking about the economy, which ruined an economy that we were went from two plus growth down to minus seven some months. And we wiped out the work of years and lifetimes of millions of people. And we shut down the schools. And I don't think those kids are ever going to get over that missing two years. And we looked at, we created a whole Zoom culture of elites. It's still plague. But more importantly, Jack, I think psychologically it did a lot of damage. I think putting people away from other people with no human contact, not just did it, it sort of softened up and fl- made their immune systems flabby. So when they went back out, they got colds and flu, all that. But just the, the lack of human content or the idea you go into store and you see everybody mask and the suspicion or you get all your information from television, not from talking to people or being refuted or rebutted or in conversation. That one-sided stream of information that comes from the mainstream media via your computer, your iPhone, or your television, I think it it explains the mass hysteria, the BLM phenomenon, the Antifa phenomenon, the 120 days of rioting, uh, the craziness. It really was an accelerant of woke. Without it, I don't think you would have had woke. It would have died out by now like Me Too did. It's kind of what was the difference between woke and Me Too? Me Too kind of died out with Tara Reid. And I, but with I, a mask, I, either you have a mask on or you don't have a mask on. So it's very easy. It's yeah, much I think easier. you're going to get to a point very quickly where stores and banks are going to not allow people to come in with a mask because it's such a they don't know whether they're criminals. Like I keep going to that anecdote. I think I've told it three or four times where I was talking to the bank teller in the local town, and she said she's terrified of people with masks. <laughs> and she said, you know, I've had one time in my life when somebody came in with a handkerchief and he robbed the bank until COVID. So what's, I don't know which, who or, who or what. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 point. I, I actually, a friend, he's dead now, Ron, Ron from Milford. He was kind of a oddball, but he thought it was funny. <clears throat> went into the local bank and he had a you know winter mask pulled down over his head and you know Ron couldn't Ron couldn't run a you know a block and get away but he was just being a practical joker he was arrested rightly so you know the, the laws against that but you're no, right it, was, it, it took the abnormal on the unreal and it mainstreamed it and we just shrugged yeah. one day I was you know I was in the bank and everybody had a mask on. I thought, my God, am I sane? Is this insane? Or I went and, you know, I talked to my daughter and I heard all the kids and I said, what's going on? They're all home. They're all home. They shut down all the school. And I said, well, what are you doing? I'm trying to conduct Zooms, (laughs) you know, and then people got to, they also got to look at what their kids have been teaching. 
so there was all sorts of these secondary ramifications that we hadn't even thought of, and it's marred. And I hope to God we never go back to this again. Yeah. Speaking of abnormal and unreal, Lori Lightfoot lost her reelection uh, for, for Chicago uh, mayor. Any, any thoughts about that, Victor? Are you surprised by that? Uh, no, because she hit that magical woke data point where life because of woke becomes so untenable that even people who supported her and supported her policy understood that it was suicidal. Too many people were getting killed. The magic mind they were doing. I mean, she destroyed the city like the way Bill de Blasio did. And so they turned on her and then she played the race card. She said it was because being black and a woman. I thought to myself, are you blank, blank, serious being black and gay in America? How do you think the cabinet member? How do you why do you think Kamala Harris is vice president? Was it because of her stellar senatorial record? Was it her brilliant legal career? Was it her wonderful record as attorney general of California? Was it her mellifluous uh, diction and grammar? Is that why she's Vice President of the United States, or was it she's an old loyalist Democrat, served 30 years and can bring in? No. It was A, by Joe Biden's old admission, she was female and she was black. So for her to sit there and tell America that I was defeated in an overwhelmingly minority city because I was what? Black and gay? Gay woman? So African-Americans and Hispanic-Americans, which comprise the majority of Chicago residents, which I think are only 30-something percent white, they voted because what? White people brainwashed them? And then she's when she talked about races, I remember that. You remember that statement she said that I'm no longer going to talk to white reporters? Right. Yeah. She was the biggest racist of all time. And then she was kind of in, kind of like Bill de Blasio, who... The Marxist who had to go to the, you know, be chauffeured to the gym and had all sorts of questionable financial expenditures and stuff and lived the life of royalty. Right. She was always, I have to have my hair done because I'm the public image of Chicago. You can't, but I must. So it's very strange when leftists talk about radical and forced egalitarianism and that they're the, they are the voices of the folks. And they do that only to secure and advance their own privileges. Well, the, va- the vanguard of the proletariat needs remember uh, the, needs to highlight. She, yeah. she was the anecdote to Rahm Emanuel, we were told, that he would be the last white male mayor in Chicago. And he was the anecdote, we were told, to the corrupt Chicago machine, that he wasn't part of it. He wasn't an el- alderman and all that stuff. He was a, an outsider, and, you know, he was, and he didn't do anything but make things worse. And then to correct him, we were not going to get part of the machine, and we were not going to get a white male from the outside. Right. We were going to get a Chicago black gay woman, and she would come in with a fresh you know, perspective. I, re- I remember reading that she was articulate. Kind of a Harry Reid condescending fashion, as Joe Biden and Harry Reid said about Barack Obama, and that this was going to usher. And no sooner did she get in than 
pad, 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 uh, call people racist and destroy deterrence. And the city was back to, as I said, a pre-modern existence. By the way, Victor, I don't want to make the case for big city machines as a way of life. Or, you know, I was a publisher of National Review. We, we don't you know, we have conservative principles, but you got to admit Chicago uh, was a great city. I, I mean, just actually in its way, a beautiful city. Yeah. Uh, the city, city that worked. Remember that? New York didn't work. Chicago did. They could get the snow off the street. Yeah. That, that was what I was told when I was growing up. When I, and yeah, it was supposed to be the epitome of Midwestern values. And <laughs> it was Carl Sandburg's cities of what, big shoulders or something? Big shoulders, yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> It was the can-do Richard Daly city. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, that is... Had its virtues. Um, it's, it's, you know what? It's one of the saddest things about this whole race thing, because Mayor Washington was a disaster in Chicago, is had African American conservatives been elected, and there were a lot of them that had a lot of great ideas, and the whole African American traditional conservatives intelligentsia that had wonderful ideas how to you know, let the free market adjudicate and temper its excesses, but rely on it and have confidence in it and be inclusive and not try to race bait or hire people on the basis. If they had have just then these cities that had these large minority populations would have they didn't have to suffer all of this. Right. And I don't know if they'll it'll be reversed or not, but I I, I don't I wonder if the constituents had voted these policies in will ever get to the point where they won't look at a person's skin. They'll just say, I'm going to vote for the pe- the person, no matter what their color is, uh, who advocates certain things that we know work. Right. But it's very tribal right now. It really is. Well, Victor, you mentioned uh, a famous old Democrat name, Daly, and another one is uh, Kennedy. And we're going to talk about Kennedy, and we're going to talk about some uh, interesting poll on California right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful It promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion, Hunter Biden, and the security and intelligence failures that preceded 
January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show, justthenews.com. John Solomon runs that uh, site. It's our official home. Victor's home on the internet is victorhanson.com. It's called The Blade of Perseus, and you should go there regularly. Everything Victor writes can be found there. Also, his various appearances on other uh, podcasts and, and radio shows. Victor's, you know, some frequently on, say, Megan Kelly's podcast, and you'll find links there. But what you will find in abundance are the original pieces and exclusive pieces that Victor writes for The Blade of Perseus. They're called Ultra Articles. You cannot read them unless you're subscribing. How you could be a fan of what Victor says and, and writes and not be a subscriber is beyond me. Remedy that now. Five bucks gets you in the door, $50 for the year. That's victorhanson.com. Do subscribe. Oh, by the way, you'll also find a link for an app. You can download the app for the Blade of Perseus and links, of course, for many of Victor's books. Um, so, Victor, the Kennedy I was mentioning, wanted to mention is Robert Kennedy Jr., who, uh, you know, and be pre-COVID, I think, had some renown, uh, well, some typical Kennedy scandal stuff, but um, big into environmental matters, clean the Hudson River, clean the Hudson River. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. We don't want a dirty Hudson River in New York. But once COVID happened, he became quite the warrior against um, Fauci, against the aforementioned Fauci, against Biden, against this the the uh, glorification of the vaccine. I stumbled across him on some um, local TV show, and I, I just thought it was fascinating. It, it seemed he had a real depth of knowledge in discussing the intricacies of um, of the of the vaccines and what they were trying to you know obviously fight off. Anyway. Robert Kennedy Jr., very popular political name, was up in New Hampshire this past week at the New Hampshire Institute of Politics. That's the uh, school, part of the uh, St. Anselm's University in Manchester. And he said he's thinking of running for president. And his wife has given him a green light. And, you know, I think it would be interesting, Victor, if he runs and and torments Joe Biden. Uh, it'd be kind of hard not to. For the, this press not to uh, give Robert Kennedy Jr. some airtime if he does run. What do you think? Well, I, he's not going to get much uh, tra political traction from the voters for a variety of reasons. But you're right. The more candidates you can get, he's got a famous name. Uh, he was until recently, if you said Robert Kennedy Jr., you associated him with the topics and themes you mentioned. He was a radical environmental lawyer. I know. As a farmer out here, he went after Roundup and the Monsanto. He got, I don't know what it was, but it was, he made millions of dollars, Jack. He was one of this in that firm that I don't know what it was, $300 million. And that was just one of the settlements against Roundup. The irony, of course, is when I started farming and I may get cancer tomorrow, but we were told that Roundup 
was a safe alternative. It was more glyphosate was salt more than a toxic uh, organochloride, organophosphate killer like Paraquat. And so you could use Roundup, and I I confess I used it yesterday. So um, anyway, he made a lot of money. He was very well, and he got on energy. Remember that? That I never understood his energy. I could understand that he was for the people, but he was against hydroelectric and nuclear. He tried to get dams canceled. He tried to get nuclear plants shut down, which both are the are the best and most efficient producers of clean energy. And the environmental record of dams is not that anyway. So and then and then all of a sudden during the covid, maybe a year or two before he started sounding idiosyncratic. I don't know if you remember, I think he had a child that had allergies or autism. And he thought that vaccinations had something to do with it, a hyperimmune. So he got into this theory, and it wasn't completely a theory that vaccinations create hyperimmune responses. For somebody who was sick for a month when I was uh, 19 from four vaccinations for tropical diseases before I went to Egypt, and then I got a long story, but every time I went to the emergency room, they'd give me a tetanus shot because I was farming. I'd get cut, dirty cuts. They never kept records in those days. And then finally, I think I had my fourth uh, 10-year booster within three years. And I got sick as a dog for about three months, fevers and everything. And finally, a doctor who's from England, by the way, said, you know, we don't do, we only give one vaccination in Europe. for, And that's it. New Americans keep pushing the envelope. You better be careful. Do not ever get another tetanus vaccination. I think I had four boosters in, I don't know, five years. So anyway, he made that. I was kind of curious when he started talking like this. And then when COVID came out, Tucker, you remember Tucker Carlson had him on? A lot. And why did Tucker? Because he doubted the efficacy of the mRNA vaccinations and felt that the immune response, given his other advocacies before COVID, uh, would be more dangerous than the protection it provided, if any. And everybody thought he was crazy in February, March, April, May, June of 2020. And then by August, September, when the breakthrough started with the Delta variant, and then by January, February of 2020, uh, 21, when Biden kept claiming that the virus is over, or 4th of July, it would be dead because of the vaccination. And then we had, and then all of a sudden, no, you have to get a booster. And then there was another booster. And then it was the third booster. And he was, he was getting more vocal and said, do not do this. You're just creating spike protein that's more, that's not really giving you up to date protection over the latest variant, but it is filling your body with spike protein, as I remember he said. So I listened to him and I thought it was very interesting. So, and he was one of those uh, Dennis Kucinich kind of people, you know what I mean? That yeah. at, le- at least in their populist rhetoric, they kind of, they kind of use that in a, in a way that's not the elite. He's an elite by coastal liberal, but he does have empathy for the people he actually says he represents. There's some consistency there, even if his nostrums are wrong. So he's a little bit different than Elizabeth Warren or those others. And he's not afraid to deviate from left-wing orthodoxy, even though sometimes crazy. But 
otherwise he's not going to be politically viable just because, you know, he's had, I think he's been married three times and he's had his third wife committed suicide in anguish yes. about him leaving her. And yeah. the, being a Catholic, he had problems with forced annulments and all this stuff. Yeah. It's, he, it's, he, he really treated that wife. Uh, the third one. Huh? The second yeah, quite, one. Yeah, quite... Uh, Nastily. I think there was a long article in the New Yorker or Atlantic that would detail that. Very it critical. did. It did. Yeah. So I I don't think he'll be politically viable is what I'm saying. And then more importantly, the Kennedy name, let's be honest, the Kennedy name was created by one man, JFK. And he created it because he understood that you could be young and charismatic and a Democrat and be for tax cuts and growth and moderation and deterrence. And so he was a kind of a Dwight Eisenhower, but younger. Wasn't that much difference between his policies and Ike's. Right. And then that was it. He got killed and he was martyred and he was deified. Okay. Yeah. And then everything else has been a play on him. Bobby Kennedy got killed, but he was playing on JFK. Ted Kennedy was a complete slave to his appetites, and he played on JFK and to a lesser extent, Bobby. And then the children that went into Paul, same, ditto, ditto, ditto. So the name yeah. keeps diminishing. It's a, it's a law of diminishing returns until you get, unless some Kennedy comes and becomes, you know, a successful JFK centrist, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. Still, it's, um, it's I, I I think he'll get some if he does do it some some uh, media attention. So I don't uh, think we'll the left, but his but his constituency is for those people who are outsiders and are left wing. The constituency is reporters, and yes. they write they write puff pieces. I don't think they're going to write anything because the holy grail to the left is Anthony Fauci and lockdowns and masks and the mRNA vac- vaccines are great. Yeah. And if you well, te- if you question that, you're killing people. That's the way they feel. Well, I just want to be clear. I do not want um, Robert Kennedy Jr. to be president of the United States. So, hey, Victor, um, th- there is a uh, Quinnipiac University, which is actually not too far from me, but famous uh, nationally on occasion for the Quinnipiac poll. It's done a big uh, survey of the views of California uh, voters, not necessarily residents, it's uh, voters. So this poll came out uh, the other day on a whole range of of questions. And let me just throw out some. I think you've you've looked at it, but let me give you to our listeners just a couple of numbers here on uh, Gavin Newsom's approval. Forty four percent approve. Forty three percent don't. Over 70% of voters do not want Gavin Newsom to run for president. Uh, just a little aside, Joe Biden's rankings among state voters, is uh, approval is 58-47, which I think is not a good number, especially since uh, this has to be disproportionately Democratic uh, respondents to the poll. Kamala Harris has a, a 42% approval rating, but 48% disapproval in her home state doesn't say much well for her uh, future. As for the state economy, 34% say it's good, but um, almost 60% say it's either not so good or poor. 
on this question of can prisoners can vote, 32% say yes, which I find disheartening, but you know, still vast majority, 64% say no. Interesting question. If you could afford to move out of California, if it was if it was economically viable, would you? 43% said yes. A majority said no. I mean, it is a beautiful state after all. I mean, who wouldn't want to live there? Who, you know, if you if you could. But that's that's eye-opening. I mean, geez, one out of every four people in the state, excuse me, four out of every ten, if they could leave would leave. So there are other numbers here that, you know, Victor, the issues that people think are more most important seem to be uh, immigration and, and homelessness. And on homeless, you wonder, is this, do they care about homelessness because they $10 want- $10 billion, $10 billion. Yeah. Is, are they sick for of- nothing. For nothing. Yeah. Is that what why they prioritize it? Or are there some lefties in there thinking we don't do enough? It's not really all that What's clear, happening, but- I think, is that- the got to remember that California, if you look at it demographically, is about 35 percent so-called white, about 44 percent Latino, and then about 20 percent Asian and others that check mixed race. So what I'm getting at is you've got a large Latino population that either is in one of two professions, either the California state or federal bureaucracies. I mean, Department of Human Resources, da, 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 DMV. If you go to these services in California, the management level is mostly Latino, Hispanic or Latino. And then second, uh, they're private entrepreneurs, landscapers, contractors, electrician. And both of those constituencies are in the upper middle class. And they're starting to learn that you have a California income tax rate, a California sales tax rate, California gas tax rate. That's the highest in the country. And you have schools that are in the top, excuse me, the bottom 10 percent. Infrastructure is rated about dead last in a lot of these surveys of bridges and roads. You've got a third of the world of the nation's uh, poverty recipients. You've got the largest number of illegal aliens in the country, the largest number of homeless, and they look at it. And Gavin Newsom is the epitome of that. And so far, he has survived politically because whenever anybody criticizes him and he feels that he has to react, he writes a check. And all I mean by that, Jack, is he writes a check for $500 million for health care for illegal aliens during COVID. Or he writes a check for $600 million to give rebates for his high gas prices. But when you have the highest kilowatt outside of Hawaii and the highest gasoline prices because of the blend and taxes, and you have the highest prices on average per square foot of any state, people can't live. I don't care what your party affiliation. So that that poll does not show the 25% of the state that's solidly conservative. That poll shows a lot of upscale uh, Hispanics that do not like Gavin Newsom. Will that does that translate into they won't vote for him? Not yet, because it's versus what or whom. But another problem he has is he's a child of privilege and insider. So he did not really do anything on his own. His family, his dad was a judge. By marriage, he's related to Nancy Pelosi. He comes from that old boy uh, network of wealthy people. Gordon Getty and the Getty oil fortune was at his beck and call for help. 
and got him in businesses. And, and uh, he's, you know, he's had a drinking problem. He's, he's not necessarily uh, been the vo- uh, representative of sober. He gets angry. He has that gravelly voice. He yells at people. And then most peculiarly, he, he's either a hypocrite or he's absent while on duty. And by that, I mean, he'll go to the French laundry and wear no mask after he said that it's a criminal offense almost if you're not masked. And then in reaction to the criticism, he'll show up down at an event in Los Angeles, a sporting event without a mask. He'd do it again. Or he won't say anything when Nancy Pelosi gets caught at the hairdresser or London Reed, the mayor, gets caught at the French laundry. So people feel he's a hypocrite. And second, when we had these horrendous biblical fires two years ago where everything, for me, it, it, it's it's personal because I have a small house in the Sierras and the fire came with about 800 yards. And he wasn't, you know where he was, Jack? He was in Montana with his in-laws. He was out of state. Yeah. And this is a guy who told us that he wouldn't pay he wouldn't pay for anybody to go to these red states because of their 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 right. attitudes about abortion and transgenderism. And he right. went to one because his in-laws have a Tony Diggs that he stayed at right during the fires. OK, so now I'm looking out the window, Jack, and there's a terrible hailstorm. We have had probably will end up the wettest year in recorded California history. He has right. told us that we were in an existential drought. And even when we had the first wave of wet weather, which if it had stopped raining entirely by February 20th, we would have had enough water for the whole year. The drought was over then. And he still said it was a drought. And yet in in a very wet year that he said was a drought, he, 90% of all of the melted snow at that point and all of the rain runoff was going out to the ocean because of our environmentalist pipe dream that they were going to have riparian waterways that were analogous to 19th century rivers, or they were going to save the Delta smelt three inch little bait fish in the Delta, or they were going to replant 30 or $40,000 at a shot salmon so they could go up to the Sierra. All of these crazy ideas were destroying California agriculture and they were draining the reservoirs. And then everybody was warning him that, the drought is over. Stop it. Just declare it over. No more. Let the water let the water be saved. Give the farmers their contractual water. Just drop all about monitoring your groundwater. Just wait and watch this year. It's never been anything like it. So now the last four days, it is raining a torrent. There has been an accumulated, accumulated, Jack, about 50 feet just 60 miles from me up in the Sierra. I went up wow. in January and dug, dug, dug. And there were six feet of snow in the deck and six feet in the courtyard. And then I hired two young men to take 10 feet off the roof. And then they took more out. And then my daughter and her family came up a week later and started from scratch and did the same thing again. And then it happened again. And I got a note from the snow removal that there is now 
They can't get in. The road is completely blocked. There is 12 feet of snow on the driveway. I don't know if I have a house yet. I hear that a lot of houses are being collapsed. When you have a, a cumulative 50 feet, you can imagine. And even though my house is pretty well built, it's had 50 feet fall. And I've taken all but the last 15, but 15 feet is pretty heavy, especially with a high water content. So my all this long exegesis is on what? This excursus. Where is Gavin Newsom? Where is he? I ask that, Jack, because they can't open Highway 168. I've never seen anything happen like this in my life. It's still closed for almost a week. Because you know why? They don't have enough Caltrans snowblowers. And they break oh. down. And the governor is where? He's out campaigning on the East Coast uh, about abortion and everything because he thinks he's going to be running for president. So that's why people don't like him. That doesn't mean that they will vote for a Republican conservative alternative. They just right. don't like him. And that means that he's not going to be the nominee no matter what. If people get to know him and see him and his yelling and uh, what he calls his, I guess, casual clothes where he gets Birkenstocks or, right. or you know, these designers uh, felt vest and all that. It, it's so artificial and contrived because that's who he is. And he never is here during a fire or a flood or any problem. And, and yet when they were looting the trains down in the L.A. port, right. the port was inert. And guess what? He was. And then he came and dressed down five days later and picked up trash on camera. Didn't do any. He didn't enact any policies that would deter criminals from wild west, wild west type robbery. When we had that, when he finally came back from Montana, he got in the same outfit, the jeans and the work boots and the, the vest. And then he went up and he uh, helped clean up around the ash, you know, and had a photo op. Right. And so and, and people don't like that. And that's he doesn't care if he cared about the middle class Californians. He would make sure their gas was competitive or their electricity rates. He says we're outlawed natural gas. He did from all new homes. And you're not you can't buy, Jack, a, a blower. Amazon will not send you a gas blower to California if you buy it. You cannot buy it, and you can only buy the existing stock in stores. You have what to if buy you what, what if you went to Nevada and bought one and yes, brought it back? Yes, you can bring it. You can, you can. I don't mean that as a great alternative, but this uh, if you can find somebody that can fix it and has parts. I don't think you can yeah. bring the parts in. But my point is that you know I, I have an electric blower. It lasts for right. about eight minutes, right. and at full blast. And so I have all my old gas that I try to fix and keep going. But and then he said, we're all going to be I mean, we're the biggest Tesla market in the United States. I think Tesla sells 40 percent of their cars in California. It's the largest selling the Y model Tesla is the largest selling car in California. It beats Ford, Chevy, anything. And yet he tells us, hey, we we don't have enough electricity. Don't charge your don't during last summer he's worried about it because he had they don't they don't they shut down two nuclear power plants he was going to shut down Diablo Canyon then he backed off but that's the kind of what he does it's all it's just it's just a representation of what a very wealthy person who lives within 
30 miles of the coast from La Jolla, La Jolla to Berkeley thinks. Whatever they yeah. think, that's what he does. Victor, one question about him and one about the weather. Uh, if he disappeared today for whatever reason, who's who is the uh, in waiting to be the next uh, political leader of California? And I'm not talking about Kamala Harris or um, or, or, or Adam Schiff, who all have their their eyes. He has his eyes set on as we know. I don't the think Senate. there is anybody of any stature. I mean, okay. there's all this. If you go look at the main people who are running the California legislature, the assembly of the House, right. a vast majority of them are under investigation for various conflicts of interest or corruption or sexual harassment. It, all of them, the leadership is because it's a one party state. So right. there's no worry about audit or uh, examining their record or holding them to account when they have super majorities in both houses of the California legislature. There's not one single statewide Republican office holder out of the 52 House seats. There's we, we, we had a big win. There's 11, 11 yes. Republicans. And there's not going to be any more Pete Wilson's and uh, even an Arnold Schwarzenegger would be too conservative today. Yeah. And part of the problem is, you know, 10 million people have left somewhere between four and 500,000 left last year. So this guy is campaigning and he tries to take down DeSantis. He's convinced DeSantis is going to get the nomination and that that's going to be a uh, an election of the governors. And he has an existential problem that people in droves of 400,000, 300,000 go to Florida. And by the same right. number, they leave his state and his state to be fair to Florida. I've been to both a lot. Uh, California, Florida is a beautiful state, but it's not as beautiful as California. California is the most beautiful yeah. state in the world. I remember, Victor, the first time I went out there, I could not believe the beauty. I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so, so special. It really can, is. It's like nothing in the world. I can be at right. 7,000 feet at Huntington Lake in an alpine lake and gaze at this beautiful cold water lake and the temperature is 75 degrees in July right. and there's these lush forests and I'm looking at Kaiser Peak and I can get in my car and I can drive through, say if I do it in May or something, Irish foothills, it looks like Ireland in the spring and even in the summer at places. And then I can stop at my farm and see this verdant, patchwork of farm and then i can go in two hours and i can be on the beach at cayucas california an old fishing village and beautiful right. beaches and you can do and that's not these are not the places people go to they go to even i guess more beautiful tahoe or they go to montecito or carmel so it's got everything so we right. took paradise that we inherited from nature and from a wonderful generation that created everything from the California Water Project to our wonderful cloverleaf um, interstate and state systems of freeways, and we destroyed it. And Texas and Texas and maybe Tennessee and Florida took, I don't know, I don't want to say hell, but they made whatever they took into paradise. Right. And, and so he, this is his legacy, and he's yes. the caboose. He is the caboose. On the long train of uh, Jerry Brown, term one, uh, Gray Davis, Jerry Brown, term two, his, and he's the ultimate manifestation of what they can do. 
yeah. go down, go down to San Francisco and just walk or walk. You know, my wife and I had I had to go speak in Los Angeles not too long ago. And anybody's gone to downtown Los Angeles, boy, it, it, it's it looks like it's been nuked. There's nobody there. I mean, the, you look at night and the and the the high rises, there's no lights in them. And you, I thought, wow, I got to go down there. I got to beat the traffic. I got to get there before <laughs> two o'clock. It's downtown. I got right. there because at, at 405 was packed, but I got downtown at 3.30 on a weekday and there's no traffic problem at all. I thought, where are the people? I couldn't believe it. Well, they're Zooming or they're afraid to come downtown. Homelessness, crime, that's his California. Go down. I used to, be a visiting professor at Pepperdine. I'm going to do it again in the fall. But I used to love uh, when I would drive my 220 miles to my farm. First thing I do, get my bike out of the trunk, go down to, you know, somewhere around halfway between Pepperdine and Venice Beach, get on the bike path and ride all the way to Tor 30 miles to Torrance and back sometime. And you know what? You can't do that now. There's Venice Beach is just, I mean, there's the homelessness, the crime. It's just a mess. Yeah. He did that. All of those yeah. people did that. The mayors, the, the state legislatures, and he's got to run on that. And yeah. The proof of the pudding, people, Ronald Reagan said that people vote with their feet. And so he did that. And his party did that. And his ideology did that. And yeah. whenever there's a, a real problem, that requires hands-on expertise and high morale in the bureaucracy, he's not to be found. He's out of state. Yeah. And his wife is making a pretty good salary as a CEO of a quote-unquote nonprofit that is selling their left-wing literature to what? The California school system. You talk about that as a conflict of interest. Yeah. All these people, remember the left, when you have the media in your pocket – and you're in the, the ideology of the reporter and the politician is identical. And they feel that they don't believe in in keeping somebody honest, that they have a shared utopian agenda. Then they do whatever they want. They have no fear. He has no, no fear at all. He doesn't fear the media. He doesn't fear the electorate. He doesn't fear anything. If Larry Elder runs against him for a recall in the Los Angeles Times uh Opinion columnist said he's the voice, he's the face of white privilege, or somebody shows up with a monkey uh, costume when he's right. speaking. They right. don't care. They could care less. That would be a career-ending fact for anybody to write that about an African American successful, accomplished person that he's the voice, uh, face of white supremacy. No consequences. And that create that that's important for people to understand. That created Gavin Newsom, old yeah. boy, networking, old boy, take care of our own San Francisco wealthy aristocratic. That's what they did, and then plug into the California Democratic machine and wait your turn and give in your your billet, and then just assume that you can do whatever you want because the California media is so left wing. Well, one last thing on the weather. I'm dispirited after what you I am said, very but, scared right now. Yeah. But on the weather front, is there any, um, with all this, you know, torrential rain and snow, and I know you just said 90% of, of this. Of the, well, there's so much now that it doesn't matter. They let out 10 million acre feet. 
That's about well, three of those big. Well, you've driven on by Pacheco I, Pass, and you saw that that big reservoir. Yeah. Or there's a big one right near where I live at Millerton Lake, and that's a half a million acre feet. It's huge, and just think of that twenty time. Well, but my question out. was going to be though: are the I mean, are the aquifers, the underground water, has that been replenished at all? I don't know how it's I, starting I, to because. The okay. rivers are rushing out, but the dams were built for a purpose. And that was not just irrigation and not just hydroelectric and not just recreation. They were built for flood prevention. And and so we in a really rare historical year like this, they're going to fill up and there's going to be so much water. And there is right now that the irrigation districts are being told, we'll give you all the water we want. We've got to get this, whatever water's in the lakes, we've got to drain it so the snow melt won't flood over. So what's happening is on my little farm, this pond that my great-great-grandmother was, I mentioned was the reason that she came here, uh, it's full. It's an artesian, it's being filled by the irrigation district. I'm looking out right now at the, the almond orchard, there's water standing in the rows. We had a guy out pumping it out so it didn't kill the tree. It's so much water. And he's, he, it's crazy. So despite everything that they've done, the environmentalists, and it's not just to save the salmon or the delta smell or the riverbanks, none of that. It's also to destroy agribusiness and agriculture. They do not want people farming. And at least farming as they conceive it. But they can't stop nature. Right. Nature has said to you, screw you. The drought is over. It's not climate change. It's not climate change. You're not in a permanent drought. We're going to snow and we're going to rain till you're sick of it. And it's going to be very dangerous for you people because we're going to put you back into flood. This is more dangerous right now than a drought. Much more dangerous because people have never seen this level of snow. And, you know, I spent... 20 years of my life saving money to buy a little lot in the Sierras and build a house. And I was worried about the drought and the trees that. It, right. It almost had, got burned down, right? Yeah. And we it, had three years of drought. And I think I had to remove nine trees that died right next to my house because I thought they were any moment they were going to fall over. One of the neighbor cut down a tree and it fell on my roof. I had to get that fixed. And I thought, Wow. And now I've never seen, I mean, I've had 16, 16 winters up there. And right. I've been on that house myself digging. And I have n never been more frightened of that house. That it may be right as we speak right now, collapse. I have no idea. All I know yeah. is that I said to my wife, I think I was kind of paranoid that I, that we went up there and we got all the snow out so many times. And then I had my son do it and I had my daughter's family do it. And I hired a person and she kind of dryly said, would you like 55 feet on that? Because that's what would have been if you didn't. That's some staggering so, concept. 55 feet of snow. Yeah. Anybody's out there and you have a home or you know anybody in Huntington Lake, please tell me if I have a house. I would very much appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we'll say a prayer to St. Joseph, yeah. who's the patron saint Nate of snows, and uh, see if he can. <laughs> He's not patron saint of snow removal. He's just just want your your house to uh, sustain whatever burdens on it right yeah. now. Isn't so. it funny? Only in California, two years ago, would you be watching the fire hourly report to see right. 
how far you were. And my shingles got so hot that I had to tear them all. I may, I just put on a brand new roof. It was very because of the, and now I'm wondering if it's too wet and it's too much snow for the roof. Yeah. Well, so, anyway, only in well, California, but we're not well led. We have a beautiful natural, but a very dangerous state because it's, it's prone to earthquakes and fires and floods. And we fooled ourselves by our ancestors' ingenuity and benevolence that, that we were at the end of history and we're not. You got to watch your, watch the fires and watch the floods and create good reservoirs and good fire departments and good roads and good access. And we haven't done that. Yeah. We lived on the fumes of other people's work. Well, Victor, we're about out of time. So we thank our listeners uh, who, uh, especially if you're new, thanks very much. Uh, do consider, as I mentioned before, victorhanson.com, a visit to the Blade of Perseus and and subscribe as for me, Jack Fowler. I write Civil Thoughts, a free weekly email newsletter for the Center for Civil Society at Amphil, where we are. Uh, we help uh, uh, we help nonprofits with uh, the arts of fund fundraising and de and development. But we're also very uh, determined to strengthen civil society. One way we do this, I think, is through this newsletter. It gives a dozen or more recommended readings, the things I've come across in the previous week that I think any intelligent person would uh, would be interested in knowing about. It's a it's a, a link and here an excerpt from from uh, an article it could be from First Things magazine or from Victor on occasion, uh, the American Conservative, other other interesting uh, uh, places of where you'll most likely find opinion journalism. So uh, how do you get it? Civilthoughts.com. Sign up. It's free. You're not on any ma mailing lists. Uh, we don't market your name. I uh Folks that get it seem to like it. So uh, thank you for those who do. People who listen on Apple and iTunes have the chance, the ability to rate this show zero to five stars. And practically everyone gives this show five stars as a tribute to uh, the regular brilliance that Victor provides. Some people leave comments. We read them all. And here's one. And I cannot say who it's from because it, there's so many. It's, it's like somebody was slapping the, the keyboard, or it looks like one of those Welsh <laughs> Welsh lakes, or you know, it's just the word with 37 letters in it. But it's titled "Dr. Hansen is a National Treasure." Why isn't he president? Dr. Hansen is a brilliant author and political analyst. His work in the field of classics is exemplary or exemplary. I've read his wonderful book, A War Like No Other, three times. I own many of his other texts, and they're all great reads. Thank you, Dr. Hansen, for keeping real academics alive. Thank you to whoever you are for writing that. Victor, thank you for all the wisdom you shared today, and we will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Thanks so much. Thank you, everybody, for listening. As for why I'm not president, there's a simple reason I'm totally unqualified. <laughs> and I wish people would also, when they're unqualified, admit it. Like our admit it, right? Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. 
On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey.